in the what we sometimes refer to as the Lord's inner circle. He was one of the ones that was really closest with Jesus. Peter, James, and John, sometimes they were with Jesus when even the other apostles were not in presence. Uh, for instance, they were with him on the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, they, were, they, they were with him, at least closer to him, uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane before he was betrayed and arrested and ultimately crucified. So, you know, Peter was really close with the Lord. I, I would argue Peter and John, between those two likely, uh, the, the ones that were very closest to Jesus. And yet, Peter fell. Peter conducted himself in such a way as to, to fall. And I, I want to suggest to you that there are some things that we can learn from what happened to him. In fact, I would argue there are things that we must learn from what happened to him so that we don't repeat the same things ourselves. So we want to talk for a few minutes this morning about some lessons we can learn from Peter's fall. I want to stop here uh, just to thank you for being here. As Gordon mentioned, we, we certainly have been through a, a, a wintry spell when we didn't expect that it would be so. We thought we were well into springtime, uh, and I think spring is going to return in a day or two. But we are in a wintry spell right here in Middle Tennessee on this weekend. We're glad that you are able to be here, that, that this weather did not prevent us from being able to assemble together to worship God. We pray that He will be honored and glorified by everything that we do this morning. That's our prime objective, in fact. But we also have in mind the need for us to be taught, encouraged, edified, built up in the most holy faith. And we pray that that will happen too as we join together in worship this morning. Thanks for being here. For those who are visiting with us, thank you for coming. And we hope you'll come again every time that you can. Let's talk about some lessons to learn from Peter's fall. The first one is a real simple point. And that is that the Lord knows our names. You know, he called Peter by name. Simon, Simon, he says. Um, now, someone say, well, well uh, that, that's not too significant. Obviously, he knew Peter. Peter had been around him. But I, I just want to launch off from that, that he knew Peter, knew Peter's name. He knew all about Peter to suggest that he knows us, too. And that he can and could easily call us by name and tell us every detail of our lives. What if, imagine this, what if that you uh, attended one of the big rallies that former President Trump holds across the country? I, I think there was one even last night. Thousands of people are in attendance at these rallies that President Trump conducts all across the country. And he calls some people out. When he has those rallies, he calls some people out by name. Usually they're prominent local politicians or maybe someone who's running for office. But let's just say that you happen to be in that audience of several thousand people. And he called you out by name. Oh, wouldn't that be something? I mean, that's, that's incredible. That's amazing. That's hard, hard to even fathom that, that President Trump would know my name. Call me out by name. Well, that would be amazing, of course, but I want to suggest to you it's even more amazing that the Lord Jesus and, the, and, and God our Father know us. And just as simply as he called Simon out by name, the Lord could call us out by name. He knows us and he knows everything about us. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 13, 
Hebrews 4 verse 13 says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. That's just that's as true today as it was when that was written almost 2,000 years ago. He knows everything about us, everything about me, everything about you, naked and open to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And so the first observation here from this text is a real simple one, but I hope it's one that we can take to heart. Never forget the Lord knows you. And that can be a comforting thing that he knows us, but it can be a a challenging thing too if we, like Peter, are headed in the wrong direction. If we're headed in the wrong direction, he knows that about us. Secondly, let me suggest to you that this text tells us that Satan is limited in what he's able to do. Jesus said, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. I think the New King James Version there says, Satan has asked to have you. Uh, and, and, and that conveys the idea that I really want to dwell on here just briefly. And that is the thing that, uh, that we have commented on in the past, that Satan actually has limited power. He's a very powerful being, don't mistake that. But his power is limited by God. Notice, Satan hath desired or Satan has asked to have you and sift you as wheat. Satan can only do what he is permitted to do. He is restricted. And that's really a, a, a comforting thing to know. As we're out here trying to live right and do right and be the, the people God wants us to be, we've got this great adversary. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 calls him our adversary, the devil. We've got this great enemy who's seeking to cause us spiritual harm and ruin. But he can't do Anything that God doesn't allow him to do. Now, that's a comfort uh, because in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, another text that we reference fairly often, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, There's no temptation that hath taken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. That's a good thing. And so in, in this story with Peter, we, we see this point illustrated. God won't let Satan do things that we're not able to resist. He, he has to get authority or permission to do what he does. God won't allow him to tempt us above that that we're able. And since that is the case, we ought to pray like Jesus taught In the model prayer in Matthew chapter 6, verse 13, Jesus taught us to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We ought to pray that. And God promises that he will do that. And so this is a comforting point, I hope. But it's also a point that we have to say provides that we don't have any excuses here. There's no excuse available to us because Satan can only do what God allows him to do, and God always pro- already promised he wouldn't let him tempt us above our ability to resist. Therefore, I cannot come along later and say, well, I couldn't help myself. I couldn't help myself. Uh, you know, Satan, got, Satan was just overwhelmed me with this temptation. I couldn't resist. That's not so. Some of you who are older will remember the old comedian Flip Wilson. Uh, now, this goes back a ways, and you younger people won't even know who we're talking about here. 
But Flip Wilson was a comedian, and he had a routine that had a, a, a constant punchline. The devil made me do it. Flip Wilson was famous for that comedy routine in which he said, the devil made me do it. That's not true. The devil can't make us do it. We can yield. We can do it of our own free will. But Satan can't tempt us beyond our ability to resist. And there's a promise here in, in this story about Peter uh, along those lines. Certainly, this text indicates a truth that has to be stressed. And that is that our faith can fail. Jesus said, I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. Now, if you think about that, the implication of that statement is faith can fail, right? There wouldn't be any reason for Jesus to pray about that. If there was no possibility that Peter's faith could fail, why was Jesus praying about it? The fact that Jesus prayed for Peter's faith, that it would not fail, implies that faith can fail. Our faith can fail. Um, this statement surely suggests that possibility. We know that there are folks in the religious world who have this false doctrine of once saved, always saved. Once you're saved, nothing can happen to cause you to be lost. That's just not true. And there's so many places in the scriptures who, uh, that show that that's not true. This verse teaches it's not true by implication. Uh, it was true for Peter that there was a possibility he could fail, his faith could fail, he could be lost. And that's a possibility for us as well. I think it's interesting that it was Peter who later wrote in most graphic terms about the possibility of faith failing. Look in Second Peter chapter 2. Now this is the same guy, right? The same guy that we're talking about who took this fall. He would later indicate the possibility of falling. In Second Peter chapter 2, verse 20, For if after they have escaped the pollution of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, The dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. So Peter who is the subject of our considerations this morning, understood and later would write by inspiration describing graphically the possibility that faith can fail and you can fall away and be lost even after having been once saved. Uh, and so uh, that's a lesson to learn here. In, in the interchange that Jesus had with Peter, we get, we get this message as well very important part of this story is that if you do fall, you can come back. Uh, you know, some think, some people think, and you may have talked to some people, maybe you've felt this way before, but certainly lots of us have talked to people who have feel that they have done such awful things that God could never forgive them. Have you ever talked to anybody who had that view? Uh, I've just, I've just lived a terrible life. I've, I've done horrible things. You, I, I wouldn't even want to try to begin to describe the horrible things I've done, they say. And I just feel like I've done such terrible things that God would never be able to forgive me for what I've done. Now, to a person who feels that way, let me ask this question. Can you think of something worse than what Peter did to Jesus? 
Can you, so you think you've done some horrible things. But can you think of anything that a person could do that would be worse than what Peter did when he de- denied the Lord? You remember how that happened, right? Uh, you remember that they came and arrested Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. They took him into town. Peter followed along to see what would happen. But some of the people who were gathered around there saw Peter and suspected that he was a disciple of Jesus. And so they questioned him about that. And he said, I don't know what you're talking about. They questioned him a second time. I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't even know that guy. They questioned him a third time. And he cursed and swore and said, I know not the man. Wait a minute. This, this was one of the guys who had been closest with Jesus. One of his most intimate, close friends. And under challenge, he denies and swears, curses, says, I don't even know that guy. You think what you've done is worse than that? I don't think so. I don't think that anything that we could do would be worse than that. But I want to tell you, even that could be forgiven. Jesus here predicts, prophesies, if you will. Peter's going to come back from this. Peter's going to take a big fall. And, and Jesus is in the process of prophesying about that. But he's also prophesying that Peter will come back from that. Peter will return. He, he will repent. I don't care how far you fall. You can come back. So falls are real. Spiritual falls are real. But you can come back. I don't care who you are or what you've done. If Peter can come back, you can come back. I can come back. Psalms 86, verse 15. Psalm 86, verse 15. This is a beautiful verse. It says, But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious and long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and truth. That's the God we serve. And And we can be grateful that you can come back no matter when, where, or how far you have fallen. Here's another lesson I think we can draw from this story is that brethren need to strengthen one another. Jesus said, when you are converted, strengthen thy brethren. If you stop to think about this, Peter would be in a unique position to help others in the future. Peter's going to go through a terrible episode in his life. He's going to take this horrible fall. But he's going to come back from that fall. He's going to repent and be restored to a right relationship with God and Jesus. But he's going to have an experience that will suit him to be specially helpful to others who are are struggling. You know, I I think there's a point there that that we can take to heart. Nobody's life is free of trial and trouble and tribulation and nobody's life is completely free from a fall of one sort or another we keep we keep trying to come back from those things we keep trying to grow we keep trying to do better and it may very well be that something that you have experienced and had to work through in your spiritual life may be that very thing that a brother or sister in christ is struggling with right now and you may be in a special and unique position to be of special help and encouragement to them and you ought to do it in this case jesus told peter when you are converted strengthen thy brethren use this as a way to help others i think we can do that too Uh, and 
we should use every opportunity to be a help to one another. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13 says, Exhort, other versions say, encourage. Encourage one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. We have this mutual obligation to one another to help and strengthen and encourage one another. We need to take that responsibility seriously and we need to be doing all that we can to be a help and encouragement to others. Especially, I think I would say, especially in situations where someone is in, in spiritual trouble. Maybe they are in the midst of such a fall as Peter fell. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, Galatians 6, verse 1, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. And so to whatever extent that I can be helpful to a brother who is overtaken in a fault, a brother who's fallen, to whatever extent I can help them, I need to help them. And it may be that they are exactly going through something that I've gone through in my life as well. In that case, I'd be especially helpful to them to help them overcome that problem. That's what Jesus was saying to Peter. You'll be able to use this experience to strengthen your brethren, and I think that we can learn from that as well. Let me suggest to you that Jesus knows us better than we even know ourselves. You're very familiar with this story, how that Peter said, "Uh uh-uh, now it's not going to happen, Lord. I'm telling you, there's no way that's going to happen. I'm ready to go to jail. I'm ready to die for you. There's no way that I will deny you. And Jesus knew better, didn't he? Jesus knew Peter better than Peter knew himself. And he proceeds to predict with specific accuracy, the cock shall not crow this day before thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. Jesus knew him better than he knew himself. I'll tell you, that's also true for us. Jesus knows us better than we know ourselves. We already talked earlier about the fact that he knows us personally, intimately. He knows our name. He knows every thought that goes through our mind. He, he knows every motive that, that leads us to do things. He knows our emotions. And it is not true that anything that happens to us is unique and, and, and therefore doesn't, the, the Word of God doesn't fit my circumstance. I think some people have that in mind. Well, Jesus, Jesus sure, Jesus is great. He's powerful. He's, he, he's, the, he's the only begotten Son of God. But I'll tell you, my case is different. And, and you just don't know. You, don't, you surely don't know what I'm going through. Jesus doesn't know what I'm dealing with. Uh, and, and everything that I read in the Bible just doesn't, it doesn't really fit my circumstance. My situation is unique and different. And what the Bible says about all these things just not applicable to me, that's just simply not true. Jesus knows us. He knows everything about us. And he knows that if we will submit and be obedient, that our lives can be right. And his word adequately deals with everything that we might ever deal with. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, Deuteronomy 6 verse 24, 
It says, The Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that He might preserve us alive as it is this day. There's an expression that Moses used there when he was talking to the children of Israel that I think is so important for us to believe, to accept, uh, to, to, to act upon. And that is that everything God tells us to do is for our good. Everything that contained in God's law for us, we understand we're under a different law than Moses was teaching. But in regards to the law that God has for us, everything about it is designed for our good. That's just the way God is. And everything that's in His Word is applicable to me. He knows me better than I know myself. And He knows what's best for me better than I know for myself. And I need to have that faith and confidence and yield to His will. In Proverbs chapter 3, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 8, uh, excuse me, verse 5. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. You know, the, the problem is that we do that, don't we? We try to lean on our own understanding. Uh, the Bible's fine. Jesus is fine. But that just doesn't apply to me. My situation is different and unique. No. That is not correct. Jesus knows us better than we know ourselves, and He knows what's best for us better than we know ourselves. And that being the case, then the takeaway would be trust Him. Yield, submit, obey. Trust and obey. We sing that song, Trust and Obey. And that is clearly how we ought to react to our Lord. And so here's Peter. Peter took a fall, a horrible one, really, when you stop to consider it all. What Peter did was literally a terrible, terrible thing. But he came back from it. We can learn from how how it developed, what transpired, and what initially resulted from it all. There's lessons for us to learn from Peter's fall. I hope that that lesson, brief lesson, is an encouragement to us all as we continue day by day to deal with the issues of life, trying to be the people God wants us to be. Are you a Christian this morning, but realize that you are currently in the midst of a terrible problem in your life? You have fallen. You're not in a right relationship with God. What do you do about that? Well, you do what Peter did. You repent. You come back. And you serve again faithfully. If that describes you this morning, we urge you to learn from Peter's fall. Learn the important lessons and act accordingly. If we can help you be restored to a right relationship with God, we beg you to come back in repentance, confession, and prayer. We'll be glad to pray with you and for you this morning. If you're not yet a Christian, then obviously the important decision you need to make is to obey that simple gospel plan of salvation. Hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized for the remission of sins. If we can help you in any way at all, let us know while we stand and sing this song.